Hey everyone, my name is Gary. Welcome. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Uh, it became clear to my wife when we got married that uh, she didn't marry one of her best friends as far as another woman. She married a man, someone who was different than her. Uh, so I looked at that video, I see the stylish. Like when I met Ann, I was about the parachute pants. Remember those? And other stuff. Um, but this became really clear, actually, uh, right when we got back from our honeymoon, uh, that I wasn't like one of her girlfriends. When I went for a run late night and did what I always did when I was single, I came back from the run completely sweaty and just jumped in bed to go to sleep. Yeah, that was her response too, exactly, Tamara. She was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to sleep. She's like, not in that bed, you're not. Took the bed sheets off, stuff like that. I can go on and on and on and just tell you about stuff where she realized that. But the defining moment came when, uh, when we got married, I made a commitment to Anne, you will never clean our bathrooms. Um, I will always clean our bathrooms. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing that, and she thought that was great. And until about our third month, I'm Saturday morning cleaning our bathroom and um, cleaning the bathtub with the toilet brush. <laughs> See, that was her response too, exactly. Like, honestly, I still don't know what's wrong with that, okay? But, um, and finally, she's like, what are you doing? And I told her, I'm cleaning the bathtub. She's like, ah. And, and, um, and then we had this talk. She goes, why can't you be more like my girlfriends? I said, because I'm not a girl. I'm not a woman. You married a man. And that resolved stuff, it resorted more conflict and stuff like that. So forgive me for saying the obvious, but men and women are different. We see that in Scripture, and our authority around here is the Scriptures, right? In the Hebrew Scriptures, in the creation narrative, it says this in Genesis 1, 27. It's in your notes, I think. It says, so God created mankind. Uh, that word in Hebrew means all of humanity uh, in his own image. Look around for a second at other people. You are looking at an image. No, really, look around at somebody. You are looking at an image bearer of God. That's what drives everything we do in this world. Every human being deserves, we believe, certain rights and certain honor because they bear the image of God. Okay, but it goes on there. In the image of God, he created them. Now look at this. Male and female, he created them. In other words, from the start, the scriptures say there's something very uniquely male in a man. There's something uniquely female in a woman in each brings a unique representation of the image of God. Women, without you, uh, we would not have uh, an amazing representation of the image of God. We would lose it if it wasn't for you. Men, without you, we would lose a unique aspect of who God is in his image. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask a couple this whole morning. What do you think, beyond anatomy, what do you think it is that is uniquely male? in that verse. It's rhetorical. I want you to just think on that. It's very clear, this distinctives. What is it that God had in mind that was to be uniquely male and unique to female? Now, I'm convinced that in the heart of a man that's unique to men uh, is something that I'm going to call a warrior spirit. Uh, anyone ever heard of the warriors? Uh, I've been at a camp with 250 dads and 250 daughters all week 
way up six and a half hours from here off the grid. I didn't know that the Warriors won until I was driving back last night. Like I was biting my teeth the whole time wondering what happened. So yeah, Warriors, okay. But in the heart of a man, I believe, is a warrior spirit. Look at this verse. In Exodus chapter 15, God expresses himself many ways in metaphors, men and women. And he has to do that because um, he's so infinite and eternal and beyond any comprehension. The only way you know anything about God is because he's revealed himself to you. Like, how do you teach a cockroach about human beings? How do you teach humans about the infinite? God has to reveal himself in metaphors. And so this, there's plenty of metaphors, but this is one of them. It says the Lord is a what? The Lord is his name. Now, I want to stay at the, at the start. What does that mean, a warrior? It's one who exerts their strength to do four things. And this isn't even in your notes, but it's so worth writing down. A warrior is someone who exerts their strength to do four things, to love, bless, rescue, and serve. A warrior is someone who exerts their strength to love, bless, rescue, and serve. The best example of a man who was a warrior that walked this planet was Jesus himself. And when he comes back, he came in humility the first time, he will come back in his full warrior-ness. We read about that in the book of Revelation. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just going to say this once, okay? Women, you're warriors too. Uh, trust me, I respect the roar in you. But it's Father's Day, so everything I say can apply to you, but I'm going to talk uniquely and distinctly to men. Is that okay? Okay, about four women said okay. Men, is that okay? Okay, here's our big idea. We've been doing this through line, we call it, through the whole series. We're not just a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. Today, I want you to know, it's just not enough to be a Christian man. We are Christ-centered men. I love that there's younger women in here and younger guys. I would say to our younger women, don't marry a Christian. Don't. 80% of America says they're Christian. Marry a Christ-centered individual. Guys, be those Christ-centered individuals. Don't marry a Christian girl. You will regret that, I'm telling you. Marry a Christ-centered woman. And be that for them. We are not just Christian men. We are Christ-centered men. What does that mean? That's where page two and three come in. So open your notes and let's look at this. Let's walk this through together. Page two and three, okay? Two principles every warrior needs for the fight. And it's a fight. It's a battle every day, people. Um, and I want to say this, guys, especially. Look at me, please. Guys, got your eyes? Hey, bro. You have what it takes. In Christ, I say that confidently. You have what it takes. Okay, so everything I'm saying, this is a no condemnation zone. This is a no shame zone. This is a no guilt zone. Forget what's behind. God has you alive today, and he's a forward-thinking God. Look forward, Philippians 3 says, to what's ahead, and let's press on, okay? Here's the fight we engage in. Every warrior has a cause to fight for, page 2. Denying the spiritual battle will not take you out of it. Let me say that again. Denying the spiritual battle that exists will not take you out of it. As a man, uh, I live every day with a love affair with Jesus Christ on a battlefield. 
on a battlefield. And every day there is uh, all hell's fury and then my flesh and then some cultural battles that want to fight against me being a Christ-centered man. But greater is he that's in me than these things in the world. Can I get an amen? I knew I'd get an amen from that, right? We have to fight every day. Passivity won't win. You will never be the Christ-centered man you know you can be by being passive. We'll pull out some battles as we go on here. Christ will battle for you and through you in this. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Nehemiah. Anyone ever heard of him, Nehemiah? We're going to learn about him in February of 2018. We're going to spend like three months in this book called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, had this royal position in another land. He was actually a hostage, and he learned about his homeland, Jerusalem. And he learned that the Babylonians had come in and decimated the temple and then decimated um, all the walls around Jerusalem. And he wept and he wept and he wept. And God put a fight in him to rebuild the walls. So he made his way back and, and worked his way. It's an amazing, amazing case study on what it means to trust God. And he came to the walls, and as they were rebuilding the walls, the enemies were fighting Israel, so they were rebuilding the walls. Now, the walls in the Old Testament times was the protection of the city. Without walls, you were vulnerable. And so they're rebuilding the walls, and the enemies are coming. Imagine this. They have a masonry tool in one hand, putting stones on, and a sword in the other. And you can imagine how discouraging. That's how it feels sometimes in my own character. Am I the only guy like that? Where I feel like, gosh, I'm trying to do good work, but I'm fighting these, these forces in my flesh. I'm trying to be a godly man, but I'm fighting. And it can get discouraging. They were discouraged. So Nehemiah calls a huddle. Oh, I'd love to be in that huddle. He says, guys, come here. And look at the verse in Nehemiah 4.14. He says this. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. I, I would just say to you, and man, I, I just want to be clear. I live with so much fear. Part of my daddy-daughter week that I spent with Isabella this week and 250 other guys. Get this, 14 guys in a cabin with bunks, like Ponderosa Lodge, those kind of bunks, one bathroom, one shower, two sinks. It was awesome. Um, but what came out as we got to know each other better, we let down our guard. I have so much fear in me, so much fear. And that's part of what the week dealt with. You do too. He says, don't be afraid of them. And then he says, remember the Lord. He doesn't say, look at your ability. That's what we usually do. He goes, no, 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 don't do that. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And look what he says. Fight. Fight for your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. He's saying, guys, there's more than a wall here. This isn't about the wall. This is about your families. This is about your generations. This is about the legacy of, of godliness that Jesus himself will come through. This fight is worth it. I forget that so often. I make it about me. I make it about my blow-its. I make it about where I fall short. I make it about my comfort. I make it about the daily grind. And I need people in my life, I need the word of God to say, you know what? There is a cause to fight for that outlasts me and it outlasts you. These people had no idea what weighed in the balance of the fight. But what weighed in the balance was Jesus himself coming through those very same people. And we'll see in a minute, riding through those very same walls and a gate into Jerusalem. 
They don't rebuild that wall. They think it's the here and now. They don't rebuild that wall. That doesn't happen. And Nehemiah has the, the guts and the insight because he was, he was focused on God saying, guys, there's a cause here. I want to say to each guy here today, and I'm not trying to rah-rah. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Man, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. In this area, it is so hard. There's something greater going on than even yourself. It's so worth it to keep the fight up. What is the fight God has put on your heart to get out of bed for that will outlast you? What is the fight God's put on your heart to get out of bed for that will far outlast you? You don't think that matters? We're sitting in a building that people fought for financially. Um, I was in a packed gym because some people fought while this building was being built to dig even deeper in the 70s, drop an additional million dollars, taking out second mortgages and what have you to finance that gym. What is that fight for you? Uh, Ann and I, yeah, we're, I mean, so many people said, you got to watch this series called This Is Us. And um, we were watching it, and there was a scene in this series that when it happened, I said, oh, my gosh, we got to watch. It was like January or February we saw this. I'm like, I'm going to show that on Father's Day. This Is Us is about a family, an, uh, an Anglo family that um, has four kids, um, three kids, and one of them is African-American adopted. And in the scene and throughout the series of the first or second, first season, first season, um, they have been wrestling with introducing this African-American kid to his heritage in an Anglo world. And so this scene is a scene where um, the father fights for his son's heritage. I want you to watch this. It's pretty amazing. What are we here to build, boys? three pillars. Now, before we begin, we have a new member to initiate today. Randall, come over here. Fathers. Randall, how old are you, son? Nine. Nine years old. Fine age. Do you think you have a good life? Yeah, I think so. Good. Good. I hope you always have a good life. But as you get older, you might start to find that things get harder. The world isn't always a kind place, especially for men like us. Take a look at the people on this map. We are your community. When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. <clears throat> Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show him. Good. 
Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes, sir. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. I cannot lose my son. I can't. Never let that happen. I would never let that happen, okay? Okay? I promise. We need to be enough for him. We need to be enough for him. Are you willing to lift him to greater heights, even if it hurts? Yes. No. You can stop. All right. I think that's enough. Oh, hold stop. It goes on, and uh, the next scene, the father moves away, and then every one of those men behind Randall gets on the mat, and Randall gets on their backs, and they do push-ups as well. So there's a fight there for an identity. I, I don't need this as us. I see it in you. I see an amazing fight in your prayer cards, the way you fight for your character and the way you fight for your marriages and the way you fight for your kids. I saw it three weeks ago in this image that was put up before us. I was sitting where you were in the pews. We got that one, bro, of Woodside High School. Um, these people are fighting for Woodside High School as students, and they're trusting God to do a work on that campus through praying and reading the Bible. And, and we're in their shoulder season right now in youth group wasn't meeting. These called other people to meet in the town square, and 30 students showed up in downtown Redwood City to worship God and to read the Bible and to grow in God, because they're not just fighting for Woodside High School, they're fighting for a whole city. I'm so proud of these warriors, women and men. I'll say it again. What is the cause that God's put on your heart to fight for. And parenthetically, you can see the text box. We won't spend a lot of time in here, but a warrior without a cause will fight and find the wrong things to fight against. You'll fight against authority. You'll fight against like-minded brothers in your life that are trying to grow you in Christ. You'll fight against a great marriage. If you don't identify with that cause, my brothers, you will give yourself to a lesser cause or to entertainment that's the best cause you can find, or you will find a cause of Christ to fight against. It will not go well for you. So in that fight, the second page there on the inside, really important, and I'm just going to spend some time here. We're going to hold these in tension. Every warrior uses discernment in the battle. We use discernment in the battle. And sometimes, look at me, everybody, sometimes you turn over tables, sometimes you turn a cheek. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in this. And I want to say this. I'll say this a few times. Turning a cheek is always more powerful than turning over tables. Always. Always. Remember, a warrior uses their strength to do what? To love, bless, rescue, and serve. Okay, so turning over tables. Uh, who remembers in the triumphal entry? Remember that? 
Palm Sunday, right? Jesus rode his donkey through the Kidron Valley and everyone's worshiping him. He goes to those very walls that Nehemiah and his crews fought so valiantly to build. Uh, who knows what happened after the triumphal entry? That doesn't usually get as much notoriety. Uh, Jesus went right into the temple, got off his donkey, and right into the temple courts. Now, you know the heart of God, even by the, des- the design of the temple. Uh, the temple had the Holy of Holies. It was the smallest square footage of the whole temple. Most important, but the smallest. That's where the Jews believed God dwelt. And then you had an outer court. Then you had a court for men. Then you had a court for women. And then the biggest space of the Temple Mount was called the Court of the Gentiles, uh, ta ethne, the ethnicities. God, from the start, the way he built out the temple in Old Testament times, he wanted Israel to be a blessing, but to bless the whole world. And so he gives the biggest space to the world in the Temple Mount. Am Am I being clear there? Okay, okay. So Jesus comes in, and guess what the Jews did? They blocked entrance to the court of the Gentiles. They used that space to minister to their needs. They turned God's heart for the world and made it all about them. And they extorted people. If you could buy a dove to sacrifice in Jerusalem in the city for a dollar, they charged three on the Temple Mount. Uh, and, and on and on and on it went. Jesus comes in and embraces the heart of God. What would you feel if you created something for the whole world and the people you gave it to made it all about themselves? Does that sound familiar? Jesus turned over tables. He used his strength to assert himself and bless, rescue, love, and serve. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers, the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. He had to exert his strength. He had to. So let me ask you a question, guys. Where is Jesus calling you? to get off your donkey, to quit being passive, and turn over some tables. In my life, walking with the Lord over 35 years, being passive, I mean, I'm not talking about waiting on God and praying, but being passive never brought about the godly results I wanted, ever. God's grace has always met me in there. I'll I'll give you an example. I've shared this about six years ago. about uh, 11 years ago now, um, I, I had an anger issue, out-of-bounds anger. And Anne was telling me about it, and some brothers in my life were telling me about it, but I was fighting against that. My pride was in the way. So um, I'm at home, and um, one of my daughters, her um, tape player wasn't working. I was frustrated, it was late, I was tired, wah, wah, wah. I'll give you all my excuses, right? I, I had out of bounds anger towards the tape player. It was embarrassing, it's embarrassing to share this with you. There was this awkward silence at the end and my daughter was just in fear. I didn't touch her, I never touched my daughters, but she was in fear. And I said, I'm so sorry, and prayed for her, put her to bed, and cleaned up a tape player and walked out of the room. 
The next morning, I'm in my garage, and Ann comes down with her daytimer. That's how old it was. She, she, she still uses a daytimer, but anyway, she has it open. The month was June, and she says, can I, can I ask you a question? Or, yeah. She says, um, and it's turned to the next week. She said, when's your anger issue going to be over? It is hurting our daughters. It's hurting me. It's hurting you more than you ever realize. She wasn't shaming. She wasn't belittling me. She was coming in humility. And she said, she turned and said, next week? She showed me the day. Is this, is this the day? Because I, I have to manage my expectations. She turned to the month page. Now I'm in July. She goes, this next month? Will you be done next month? She turned to the back of it where it had all the years. She pointed to the next year. She goes, next year? Do I have to put this up with this for next year? She said, Gary, you need help. You need help. She prayed for me and then left. I had a decision to make. I had to turn over some tables. Being passive wouldn't do it. There was something worth fighting for. I was ruining the spiritual heritage and the lineage of the Gadini name. First thing I did, and it's this easy, guys, turn over tables, I turned over the covers of my bed and got up 30 minutes earlier and desperately came to God and said, for 30 minutes in the morning, I need you so badly today. I can't, I was, I was out of my league. I'm like, I can't do this. Then I turned over my pride, went to some friends and said, I, I need counseling, I need help. I want to bring you into this. I'm so ashamed, but I need help. And got under the authority of a godly, Christ-centered counselor. Um, last May, Ann and I were uh, out to dinner, and um, we were away for a night, and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, you're a different man. You are a different man. And I just want to encourage you. She's told me that along the way, but she took that moment to tell me. Guys, what are the tables that need to be turned over in your life? Sometimes you turn a table, sometimes you turn a cheek. In the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus said this, you've heard that it said, an eye for an eye. Uh, you know what, I, I need to stop right now. I need us to sit in this question. I don't want to move beyond. I may not even get to turn a cheek. Guys, what are the tables that you need to turn over in your life? using our strength, using our ability to love, to bless, to serve, to rescue. And sometimes you turn a cheek. Uh, when Jesus mentioned, you can see it in your notes, turning the cheek. Uh, turning the cheek was a, was a euphemism in Jesus' day for um, 
throwing an insult at somebody. Um, you slapped someone on the cheek. The cheek was a place of relationship. You kissed the cheek. Still in this day, uh, in the Middle East, they kissed the cheek as a sign of friendship. To slap a cheek was to give an insult. And Jesus said, in that day, when a cheek was slapped, they'd slap back. Not, not, he's talking metaphor here. And Jesus is saying, when insulted, bless in return. And if you think, guys, that's weak and uh, somehow erodes a man in you, look at the perfect man who ever lived, Jesus. What did he do when he was insulted? He blessed right to the cross, right? I have in my notes, any man can throw a punch. Only a Christ-centered man can turn a cheek. So I'm at this daddy-daughter retreat, and it's culminating to the final day where dads get solo times with their daughters. And um, we're asking them the question, um, how have I wounded you as your dad? You're completely free to tell me how I've wounded you as your dad. I'm in a huddle group with six other dads, and uh, this dad says to me in the group, in a moment of vulnerability, says, I'm scared to death of that question because I know I have wounded my daughter. And so we have four hours on Friday with our daughters, and it was rich and painful and beautiful. Um, we come back for huddle, and uh, my, my friend finds me and says, you won't believe what happened. I'm like, why? He said, my daughter came to our solo time with three pages of notes of how I wounded her, front and back, numbered. And he said, some of the things she called out of me, he's like, honestly, I wasn't even there. I was on a business trip, and I wanted to push back, but I didn't. All I did for everything she raised was say this, I'm so sorry for that. Will you forgive me? He said, by the third page, we were bawling and bawling, and we hugged each other so tightly, it was like we became one. It was a breakthrough. These two didn't sit together the whole week till the last night. It was unbelievable. And then he said, I had no idea the power I had in my hand as she told me how I wounded her to either wound her more deeply or to bring healing through turning the cheek. Any man can throw a punch. Only a Christ-centered man can turn the cheek. So here's the deal. I got to land this plane. We're only as strong as we're honest. And maybe you're like me, you come to the end of this sermon and message and you go, man, I am hosed. I am so far out of my league. I can't get out of, the, of this place I'm in. I would just say, welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to being Christ-centered. Where is the battle that God is saying, you must win? You must win. This is beyond you, where you have to desperately turn the covers over, get up earlier, Pray and ask God, God, I want to be a warrior to love, to bless, to serve, to rescue. What is it for your character? What is it for this PCC community? What is it for the community out there? Redwood City Reads, uh, Street Life, um, any other injustice you see out there. It all rests on the hearts of women and men who have that warrior spirit and turn tables and turn cheeks. We're going to pray. Let's do that. Can you just repeat silently with me? Because we're going to sing it in a minute. 
Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Maybe as I pray, that's your only prayer, and that's enough. Holy Spirit can interpret that and take it to where you need. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the chance to be together like we are. Even in the hot, who cares? Bring it on. We, we love the heat. It's not going to keep us from doing business with you. We need you. We need you to heal. There are people in this room who carry a father wound, and they need healing. And we offer that up to you. You are the mighty God who can bring healing. We need you for that. And Lord, we need you for that fight that you called us to. I know many in this room, the, the walls are too high, the mountains are too big, but you're the mountain mover. You're the wall breaker. So many of us are trapped in our past or trapped in fear. We need you to bring to our memory that you are strong, mighty, and awesome. Lord, we need you for our character development. We need you uh, for those of us who are married. We have settled for mediocrity for too long. And I'm guilty. We blamed our spouse. Today, we own up to that. And we say, regardless of our spouse, we want to be the woman or man you want us to be because you called us to this. We need you in parenting. We can't be the parents you called us to be apart from you. Yeah, we can raise great kids with great sports skills and get into great schools and what have you. But we believe you have more for us than that. We see it in these students at Woodside. You want to use our kids to impact eternity. You said in your word, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of arrows, kids. You called them warriors in that verse. We need you for that. So, Father, if we feel out of our league, it's right. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring in our lives deliverance, healing, hope, vision. We need you. We pray it in Christ's name. Everyone said amen. Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.